That familiar theme song means it's time for another conversation at the Radio Backyard Fence. And on this Thursday, right smack dab in the middle of February, it's time to welcome back those boys of the Bible, the men. The men, they put the men in commentary. (laughs) They put the dance in abundance. I love that. That's right, friends. The two Michaels are back to take your questions about the Bible. Call early, call off on 877-548-3675. Phones are open now. Have a question about a word, a verse, a phrase, a passage, or how to apply it to your life? We'd love to hear from you. 877-548-3675. Here's our team, Ryan McConaughey, doing all things technical. Tricia is our producer. Lynn will be answering your calls today at the Radio Backyard Fence. Now here they are, comrades of the Moody Bible Commentary. They put the loss in Colossians, the late in Revelation, the lip in Philippians, and the moth in Timothy. One is host of Open Line and vice president and academic dean and professor of Jewish studies at Moody Bible Institute. The other is adjunct professor of Bible at Moody Bible Institute and former pastor of biblical research at Harvest Bible Chapel. I give you Dr. Michael Rodelnik and Dr. Michael Van Lanning, the two Michaels. We got cheers now! Wow, that's great. wow, wow! <laughs> I, so I just love seeing all those people there in the in the yeah. booth. It's a cheering. wonderful thing. You, 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 the uh, price for the tickets have gone up. Yeah, people are they're scalping them now. And you notice that I I said that your name is Dr. Michael Van Lanning. Did you get that, Dr. Michael Van Lanning? Yeah. Does that make me kosher? We, no, we took the, the ham out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, gave yeah. it gave it up for Lent. <laughs> <laughs> I use that. I went back and I found I used that like two years ago. And I thought, well, I'll do it again because <laughs> people have forgotten it. Yeah, uh, yeah if, it, if it worked once, it can work again. Why not? Bingo. Oh. And Ryan got it too. Uh, I got a an email from the local uh, rabbi here. I'm on his mailing list, Michael. And I was going to ask you this. Okay. Well, first question, Kippa Yamaka. Is it the same thing? What's the difference? Yeah, yarmulke is Yiddish. It's the skull cap. Kippah is Hebrew. Kippah. Uh, so yarmulke is uh, Yiddish. That's you know what Yiddish is. It's uh, the language of of European Jews, who uh, like Northern European uh, Germany, Poland, Russia. Lithuania, places like that, where Jews Your were. Your parents spoke Yiddish, didn't yeah, they? That my, yeah, that was my mamalushin. That was my mother tongue. Okay. That's what I spoke first. And then... When did people, Jewish people, begin wearing a kippah or yarmulke? No one knows. Huh. I mean, it's basically 80% German written with Hebrew letters. That's what Yiddish is. Okay. And it means Jewish. Uh, it's Got a it. Jewish language. So, so. Here, here's what he said in the email... Uh, he was talking about a mezuzah, and if you want a mezuzah, you can order one. A mezuzah is a parchment scroll on which the Shema is handwritten by an expert scribe. Yeah. The mezuzah is mounted on the right side of the doorpost and designates the home as Jewish, reminding us of God and our heritage. It's a symbol of God's watchful care over the home. And then he says, the placing of a mezuzah on the doors of a home or office protects the inhabitants, whether they are inside or outside. Is that does every Jewish people believe that this is a, a thing that protects them? I think, or I think that's that. folklore. Okay. <laughs> the reason for the mezuzah on the doorpost is from Deuteronomy six. Uh, when you go in, when you go out, you bind the word of God to your heart, your mind, right? Your heart, your head, and so uh, it talks about post these or bind these for a sign upon your door doorpost. It's so that when you go out or in, you don't forget who you're representing. Got it. 
who's with you at all times. Uh, so that's the reason for it. I don't believe, I think that's all folklore about it, protecting the home. Too many Jewish homes have been destroyed and, uh, mm-hmm. in anti-Semitic attacks to think that it brings automatic protection. Yeah. I just don't think that. We had, now we go to the other Michael, because Second Corinthians is where we're going, with a caller who called after our last program, but I want you to hear it. Here's what she said. Hi, Chris. I had a question for you or to Michael's. I ran across a verse, and I'm stumped by it. So the verse is from Second Corinthians 2.17, and Paul says, You see, we are not like the many hucksters who preach for personal profit. We preach the Word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. So my question is, what's the context of this particular verse? Um, I did read back through one and the first part of two, but I, I'm stumped on how this falls in with our culture today of writers, speakers, churches, anything that preaches the gospel or truth in some way, anything like that, and then they're profiting from it. So I'm stumped because I still want to support my favorite, I mean, even like Chuck Swindoll is my favorite preacher, pastor, and, um, you know, I'm just stumped by the question. Michael, what do you say? Yeah, sure. So I would say that um, what we're finding here in Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, is sort of forecasts a theme that comes up in Second Corinthians 11. Um, in verse 13 in Second Corinthians 11, it says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and so on. And, and they are in it, uh, at least in part, for the financial gain. Um, now I, I would say that, um, it's, there's other places in scripture as well. And first in, uh, Galatians chapter six for, for, uh, says this, by the way, where, where it's right and appropriate for people who benefit from their leadership in their church in spiritual ways, they ought to support them in material ways. And so, uh, to, to give money to the church with the idea that at least some of it is used by the staff is quite appropriate. Um, but no, no doubt there are people out there, perhaps even local church uh, pastors and staff, who are in it for the money, and the, the motivation is not right. And I take it that especially if we give to the local church, we can see how the pastoral staff uses uh, what they receive, and if they are using it inappropriately, there's a very good chance that people in the church will know about it. And so the thing I would say is that we ought to be encouraging one another to give to the local church because that way we can have a pretty good idea for how uh, the staff is using um, those resources and that income. So yeah. that's how I would see can, that. Can I jump onto that? Uh, sure. Uh, I, Angel just got its wings, but yeah, I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know where that was coming from, but my phone is off. Uh, here's what it says. For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ, in the sight of God. And so uh, I think what he's saying is that we're not saying that people can't earn money. What he is saying is we're not doing it just for the money. So the example I would give, Chuck Swindoll, I believe he's absolutely sincere. 
he is uh, uh, working for the Lord, teaching the Word of God to so many people, certainly worthy of of the support for that ministry. Then, I don't know if you remember this, in the 70s, there was this guy, Marjo. He was a mm-hmm. child evangelist that grew up, and he was just a scam artist. He was doing it for the money, and he was doing you know, these revivals and stuff like that. And there was a movie made of him in the 70s where, or maybe early 80s, where he was, you know, they showed him uh, counting the offering and and saying, thank you, Jesus, real uh, facetiously. Uh, he wasn't doing it from sincerity. He wasn't doing it as a ministry from God. He was doing it inappropriately. Uh, uh, he was a scam artist. And he was peddling the word of God and many people were taken in by him. And I think that's what my grave concern would be is that we have to, I, I don't think it means that we can't support someone on the radio, but we better know who they are. And I think that the fact that uh, Chuck is a pastor of a, has been pastors of churches and uh, highly respected, uh, we know that he's, and he's genuine. He's a genuine uh, person. That's why it's legitimate. So go ahead and keep supporting Chuck Swindoll, I think that's great. I agree well, with Michael, it, though, that I'd start with your church. That's where I would start. Bring it down to the Moody Bible Commentary, or 50 Most Important Bible Questions. If you hear us saying, if you get the 50 Most Important Bible Questions, you're going to hear Michael give a date for the rapture and for the <laughs> second coming. And Michael has a secret prayer in there that will give you healing if you want it. And all you have to do is put $10 in an envelope and send it to his home. If you hear, that's, that's being a huckster. Mm-hmm. That's being that's playing on people. I, I want to know when the second coming is coming. You guys playing on, but if you are if you're writing, uh, taking your research and the two of you co-edited the Moody Bible Commentary and you work on that, you put it into a volume, and you make it as av- accessible as possible, available and as uh, financially accessible as possible. Sometimes it's fifty percent off, and that's a great mm-hmm. deal. Um, then you're not. Being a huckster, you're just uh, well, finish that sentence, Michael. Well, a, a work is worthy of his hire. Uh, right. I'm. I think that you're. You're. It's. It's a worthwhile payment, and rightfully so. Uh, I. I think it's interesting. I just was teaching in a class uh, a couple of days ago about First Corinthians nine, where it says, "I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things?" Uh, and what he does, and he talks about that, the muzzle, the, 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 do not muzzle the ox mm, right. while he is threshing. God's not concerned about oxen, is he? He's, I would say God is not only concerned about oxen. He's concerned about people. Gave us a wisdom principle there. Yes, for our sake it was written. And then the same thing he goes on to say uh, that, that what, what we do Paul says, I don't accept money from you guys because I don't want you to think I'm doing it for the money, but it would be absolutely legitimate uh, for it. That's what he says. Well, here's the deal. We're not going to muzzle these two oxen. They're open for your (laughs) questions and comments now at 877-548-3675. Grab a Bible, open it up, see what the question is, and call us, 877-548-3675. 3675. More with the two Michaels straight ahead on Moody Radio.
The two Michaels are at the Radio Backyard Fence, available for you at 877-548-3675. Let me go to one of the the questions that I have had kind of stacked up here. One of these days, I'm just going to have the two Michaels, and we're going to record, and I'm just going to ask them all my questions. But this comes from Luke chapter 9. Oh, by the way, if you want to talk with them, 877-548-3675. So in the Gospel of Luke chapter 9... Uh, Jesus said, while everyone was amazed at all these things he was doing, he told his disciples, let these words sink in. The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. Verse 45, but they did not understand this statement. It was concealed from them so that they could not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. So my question is, if Jesus knew his meaning was concealed from them, why, what was the purpose of him saying it to them? Is that for us today? Uh, explain that. I would say, simply, I'm not sure that Jesus actually knew that it would be concealed from them. Um, there's... there's and, and, we're, and that's outrageous, of course, to us evangelicals, but... It is interesting to think about that Jesus, when he was in his incarnation, most of the time he was functioning in his human nature, and he had the things that he could know in terms of omniscience that God allowed him. Um, We see that all over the place in John's gospel. And so it's possible that on this occasion, Jesus didn't know it was going to be concealed from them. And even if it was, he can still speak it anyway. Just because Mm -hmm. it's concealed does not absolve the people who hear things from the guilt of not getting it. Mm -hmm. And that that doesn't sound right. It just doesn't sound right. But uh, I think it's biblical. I think it's defensible. So I think in verse 44, when he says, let these words sink into your ears, for the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. That's not the only time that the Lord told him that. Mm-hmm. As he gets right. closer and closer to the cross, he repeats it. Repeat it's it's over and over. And so he may have understood, he may have looked at their faces and saw that they didn't get it, right? Oh, that's in his humanness or you know, it says in John 2 that he knew what was in man. Right. Right? So he may have understood but he's thinking, okay, I'm just going to keep telling them so that they can understand it. The dispute here is who concealed it from them. Some commentators say God the Father, through his spirit, concealed it from them. Other people think Satan concealed it from them. I actually think something different. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me, let, me ask you, let me ask you if this oh, wait, is I think I think it was their culture their upbringing in Judaism, which emphasized so much that the Messiah was going to come as a reigning king, so that when they heard about the suffering Messiah, that he was going to die to be delivered into the hands of men, they're like, oh, we don't get this. It was concealed from them to understand it by their upbringing. And they wanted him to be the Messiah that was going to put down Rome and mm-hmm. and do what they wanted him to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so but that going back to that... Um, Mike V, the the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, he asks her, uh, go get your husband. You know, he, he, he puts his finger on the nerve of her life. So how did he know that and that she had had 
four and the one he's, she's living with or whatever the number was. How did he know that? Right. Again, I would say it was granted to him from the father to know that. You have to remember that on occasion, Jesus doesn't know what's going on. Um, and and, and it, that sounds radical, doesn't it? I'm not proposing that he's less d- than divine, but he has two natures, unlike any of us. And and on, on the, the day of the actual second coming, Jesus says, nobody knows, but the Father who is in heaven knows. So Jesus didn't know the day of his own second coming. Well, why didn't he know it? It's not because of the limitations of his own human nature. It's because God had not revealed that to him than to have him reveal it to others. So when so, the woman with the issue of blood touches him and he says, who touched me? Sure. He, he didn't know. Um, I would suggest that he probably did not know that, okay. that he's that he's being sincere when he says that. And then he looks around and he discovers who it was. So um, it seems to me that that's, you know, it's a challenge. We evangelicals don't think about this kind of stuff very often as it relates to Jesus and his humanity. But the fact of the matter is he, he doesn't know some things. And um, and so, um yeah, I mean that's just that's just how it is biblically. I'm looking for some passages that talk about this, and especially in John's gospel, but I'll find one in a second. Yeah. Michael, anything to add to that? Well, I, I, I'm, you know, I think the answer with the Samaritan woman is just exactly what she says, "Sir, I perceive you are a prophet," and it was revealed to him, just as Michael said, everything that he knew about her was revealed to him to the Lord Jesus, and he told her, and, and she's like, "Oh, this is too much." Uh, he knows too much about me. Uh, but that, that actually, if, remember I, I mentioned John 2, the Lord Jesus mm-hmm. didn't need anyone to explain people because he knew what was in humanity. And then you have John 3, he knows exactly what's going on in Nicodemus's mind. He knows exactly what's going on in the Samaritan woman's mind. He knows exactly about the nobleman and what his needs are in chapter 5, I think it is, or at the end of chapter 4. So, You've got these three interviews that follow, and then even chapter five, that's where it is mm-hmm. in chapter five, where you've got the man who can't get into the healing waters, and he knew exactly, he says, do you really want to get well? I mean, he knows what's in people, and I think John was trying to show uh, whether it was by divine revelation or his own deity that he knew uh, the heart of men. Okay, you've mentioned that, and I promise we'll go to your calls. The uh, the little aside in John's gospel there where he mentions the angel, because an angel would come down and oh. trouble the waters, <laughs> uh, is that, was that, did John write that or did somebody write that later on to explain for the people who were reading at the time? What do you think? I think it was later on. I don't think it was part of the original text. It feels right. that way. Mm-hmm. It feels that way to me. Yeah. You agree, Michael? I agree. Okay. Yeah. All right, Bridget. And by the way, it's not just us. It says in the brackets. There's brackets in your text that say that not in the (laughs) earliest manuscripts. Yeah. Well, I know that, but but it doesn't necessarily mean it wasn't in the original. Yeah. It just raises a question. Okay, Bridget is in Florida. Hi, Bridget. Hi. Ooh, this is exciting. Two Michaels. I got two questions. Um, the first one is in reference to when we die. I had a conversation with some guy. Um, we know that the scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But we got into another part of the discussion in reference to one person said, well, your, your body is dead, but we're waiting because 
you know, feel when he comes, the dead in Christ will rise and we'll meet him in the air. So your body is in the ground, and then your spirit goes where? We're not Catholic, so we, we don't believe in purgatory. So we had that look conversation. And the second one, the second question is... But why don't we do one question so at a time? Is, well, it, is that okay? Does your body go to heaven? Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> Bridget, Bridget, hang on. Let's do that first question first, and you hang on. Right. So, go ahead, Michael. So in Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if there's soul sleep or something like that when we die, then there's not any real gain there. He says in verse 23 in Philippians 1, uh, I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on the flesh is uh, more necessary for your sake. And so uh, let me just propose that that when we depart, we are with Christ. There's a very interesting construction here. The departing and the being with Christ happen sort of two sides of the same coin. Uh, the departing happens and we are with Christ. That's our immaterial nature. That would be like our soul, okay, who we are on the inside. The body, however, stays here and and uh, has, has the appearance and sort of euph euphemistically is called death is called sleep so i think that's what's going on so uh i agree with you 100 percent. i think uh we misread first thessalonians 4 13 through 18 too often uh where it talks about the rapture and this is what it says for if we believe that jesus he's talking about those who are asleep meaning that's a euphemism for dead mm-hmm and he says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him, bring with Jesus, those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. In other words, when the Lord Jesus descends, who's coming with him? Those who are dead. They're not, we're not gonna, they're not gonna meet him in the air. They're coming down with him to descend uh, at, at the rapture. They're, he's bringing them with him. So that why? Because they're already they've gone to be with the Lord, and what happens is uh, th those who are alive meet the Lord. That's they're translated, uh, but when the Lord descends, the dead in Christ—that's their physical bodies—will be resurrected, and He's descending. Their bodies are raising, and they meet together. Uh, that's uh, that's what happens at the rapture. It's not that that the people have been sleeping. They're with the Lord. They descend with him. I think that's really important for us to see in 1 Thessalonians 4. But their bodies are resurrected, and then their immaterial and their material parts are reunited into a glorious immortal body. I hope that helps, Bridget. Now let's get to number two. Number two is... Um, it's a, in reference to um, uh, the unpardonable sin. We had another conversation about that. And then we talked about grieving the Holy Spirit. It's like it's unpardonable. And so the question is, really, is there any sin that is unpardonable? Or when you get to the point where you've sinned, you've accepted Christ, your sins have been forgiven, but then you sin as you transgress and you repent, you know, and your sin is forgiven. So at what point is there an unpardonable sin? So I would say, um, Bridget, that 
that um, the conditions surrounding the unpardonable sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, I'm thinking especially of the version in Mark chapter 12, uh, is more than likely, notice how I'm saying that, more than likely a sin that cannot be repeated today. Uh, those religious leaders in particular saw Christ in his incarnation, physically tangible right there, performing these astonishing miracles. Um, and yet they ascribed him as being in league with the devil. And so I don't, you know, we don't, we don't really have those opportunities to be able to do that today. They had maximal light that we don't have. And so I don't think we can perform that, that sin. But uh, I would say um, when we think that we've performed the unpardonable sin in this current era, this age, you know, people say, well, not believing in Jesus is the unpardonable sin. And I would say, no, 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 it's the unpardoned sin. That is, all of us at one point or another were in the state of unbelieving. And unless we trusted Christ the first time we heard the gospel, uh, then then uh, we would all be guilty of the unpardonable sin. And yet we come to Christ, we have faith in him, and so we are forgiven. So unbelief is not the unpardonable sin, it's just the unpardoned sin. Mm-hmm. Okay, I need to take a break. The the question after that, and Tricia says, at what point do you sin too much for God to forgive you? That's really what is behind part of the question that Bridget okay. has for us today. So I want you to answer that, and there are corollaries to that as well we'll get into. Oh, this is a good program. This is Chris Fabry Live on Moody Radio, and you have the opportunity, like Bridget did, to talk with the two Michaels. And you can do that by calling this number, one 877 548-3675 or go to the website chrisfabrylive.org and find out more about us right there. Do you know how we you are able to hear the two Michaels today? It's partly uh, their microphones and, and all of these technical things. But there are people behind the scenes who have given to this program, Chris Fabry Live, and that's why you can hear people like Dr. Michael Rodelny. Right, Michael? Uh, you know, I appreciate so much that people are desirous of listening to this program and, and feel like the way to do that is by uh, giving towards Moody Radio, Chris Fabry Live. It, it's so crucial. You know, we had a question earlier about the appropriateness of giving, and it is. It is utterly appropriate uh, the the sincerity of, uh, in my opinion, of the host Chris Favory, as his desire to minister to people, to bring the word of God to people, and to uh, help people understand their walk with the Lord. That to me says that this show is really worthy of people's support. That's my opinion. And one of the things I love is that you're giving away a great book. Uh, uh, and I, I am embarrassed to say I haven't read it yet, but as soon as you said it was by Ron Hutchcraft, who's one of my favorites, I just love him on the radio. I know it's going to be great. It's called A Life That Matters. And so if people give a gift of any size, they will get a copy of, I'm going to give a gift now, I think I have to do that to get A Life That Matters by <laughs> Ron Hutchcraft. That is a, I, he's just wonderful. Uh, in, and he's so winsome about teaching yes. us. What's the, What's the book about? It's basically about sharing your Jesus story with somebody else. Do you have a concern for the people around you? And he says, your life or death mission is not about you being a great Christian. It's about Jesus being a great Savior. Mm. 
And so he, he takes, you know, he just walks you step by step through, okay, what is your Jesus story? Um, if you'd like to give, go to the website. That's the easiest way. Go to chrisfabrylive.org, scroll down, and you'll see how you can give right there, chrisfabrylive.org. Or you can call us, 866-95-FABRY. That's how you get to our listener line as well, so you can leave a message if you'd like. But you can also support us at 866-953-2279. So thanks a lot for being a, uh, a partner or a friend with us here at the Radio Backyard Fence. All right, so there was one other question we had. Is it, at what point do you sin too much for God to forgive you? In Romans, he gave them over. You know, there is that tipping point where he gave them over to their passions, to their desires. Mike V., what do you say? Is there a place where we you can sin too much? Well, no. Um, that's not, by the way, to belittle the seriousness of sin, um, but I think I, I, John Calvin says that we don't know one-tenth of the sin that clings to our soul. And in any given day, we're probably sinning 10 times more than we're aware of even. And, and I think that that's probably right. And if we're only forgiven of the, of the few percent of sins that we're aware of, then we're not forgiven enough. But I think we are. I think God forgives us everything in Christ. And uh, we're not to be presumptuous. That doesn't give us a right then to just send up a storm and do whatever we want to do. But I think absolutely uh, he continues to forgive us. And especially if we if we uh, indicate our saving faith through our desire to live a more holy life consistently and we repent as we're made aware of these serious sins. Mm-hmm. And if you're a friend of that person who's, who you think has gone too far, you don't you stop praying for that person, right, Michael? Yeah, and when, when it says that God gave them over, he's not talking about people who have trusted in Jesus. He's talking about right. people who are— uh, uh, when Paul's writing, he's talking about pagans who just r- ran further and further away from the truth. That was everyone, you know, had the truth because everyone's a descendant of Noah and his sons, and so, so every bit of paganism that has come out are people who, you know, all that pagan movement away from the Lord was because people were rejecting the truth that they had, and it's not talking about people who are believers. Yeah, uh, I always right. tell people. In First John one nine, where it talks about confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive our sin. It's sort of like when my kids and grandkids were babies, and we had to diaper them. I never ever said to them, "Oh, got to clean you up again." I'm sorry, that was just once too many. <laughs> uh, no, I was faithful, maybe not just, but faithful to to keep cleaning them up. And uh, so was my wife. And what's the point of that? That are we more faithful than God in, in cleaning up His children? I don't think so. Thank you, Bridget, for your question. Jeanette is in Indiana. Hi, Jeanette. Go right ahead. You're on with the two Michaels. Hi, Chris. How are you? Doing great. Glad you got through today. Good. Me too. I just want you to know, first of all, how much I appreciate your station, and I listen to you almost every day. Um, My question is, I'm kind of confused from what they were saying about the rapture and um, uh, the Lord raising the dead to be with him um, 
But first of all, aren't we, when we die, this is the way I've always understood it. When we die, our spirit is with the Lord right away. Our spirit, our soul, and it's just the body that isn't. But then I've always heard that we're supposed to have a new body in heaven. So why would he raise us from the dead? Well, when he, when that, yes, for sure. When he raises us from the dead at the rapture, there is a rejoining of our spirit, soul, our immaterial nature to our bodies, and our bodies are raised as new bodies, resurrected, glorified bodies. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's when uh, the new bodies, the glorified bodies, enter into the pictures at that point. And so that's that's one of the that's mm-hmm. the huge hope of the Christian. Yeah, that you know, some people look at Second Corinthians five, where it talks about this body is being like a tent, and we're uh, burdened, and we don't want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, meaning with a body. Uh, but I, some people take that to mean that we will get when we die and go to be with the Lord, that we'll get a temporal body that will be replaced by a immortal, glorified body at the resurrection, at the rapture. I don't. I think that's reading too much into this text. I think that our, our immaterial parts go to be with the Lord, and we don't have a temporary body while we wait for the rapture uh, after we die. We die, our immaterial, our spirit, our soul, that part goes to be with the Lord. The body goes in the ground or anything else that's done, you know, tossed over the ship or I don't know what happens, but, you know, depending on the person. But then... At the, at the rapture, the dead in Christ, the, their bodies are raised, and they meet the Lord. Their bodies meet the Lord and themselves in the air, and they're reunited. And that's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Okay. All right. Well, Jeanette, I'm glad you, were, uh, you got through today. I wanted to see if we can get Martin in here because he has a really important question that's going to be hard for the two Michaels to answer. Martin in uh, Vermont. Go ahead, Martin. Well, thank you, uh, Chris. Uh, Gentlemen, um, what I'm looking for is a thorough, a very thorough biblical commentary. So it'll probably have to be more than one volume, uh, which doesn't have this tiny print that most commentaries have. (laughs) My eyes are are getting weaker, and and I don't want it to be um, heavily biased toward either Calvinism or Arminianism. It could be somewhere in between, you know, who, who, who would deal fairly with both of those uh, um, viewpoints, theological positions, you know. But I don't want it to be heavily colored one way or another, you know. Uh, so I wonder if you could recommend any uh, commentary of that kind. And are you using this, Martin, for messages? You know, are you a pastor or are you... No, Bible study. Just study. My personal Bible for study. You. I want Got to it. thoroughly understand the scriptures, but without viewing them through a colored lens of any theological position. So, so you do know, Martin, that everyone has a lens. <laughs> there isn't There isn't a way to read any commentary that doesn't... We we all have the lens that we put on when as we read the scriptures. 
Uh, I know most commentators try their best not to, to, to just let the text speak. Uh-huh. But, you know, if, right. like for me, if I see a verse that, like Hebrews 6, I think my lens tells me that the, the vast teaching of Scripture, uh, the, the clear teaching of Scripture is that we don't lose our salvation. So I come to Hebrews 6. My le- that mm-hmm. lens that I have of the clear teaching of Scripture is going to affect how I interpret Hebrews chapter 6, that some people think you'll lose your salvation. They would be taking Arminian interpretation. Uh-huh. So we all, we all have a lens, just so you know. And mm-hmm. I, as for a commentary on the whole Bible, I think I'm going to let Michael. Uh, oh, thanks a lot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, Martin asks, is there a good commentary that doesn't end up strongly Calvinistic or strongly Arminian? And, of course, the answer is no. Yeah. There's not. And because it's impossible to land on one camp or the other and or to, to be really objective about everything. You, you just you can't be you can't be in the middle on this issue. So. I would I would propose if you don't want to use the Moody Bible commentary because it's kind of brief, I would say probably the next best thing, interested to hear what Michael says, would be um, the Bible knowledge commentary, which is in two volumes, Old Testament and New Testament, written by good and godly men who mm-hmm. are really sharp. My and teachers. I would say that mm-hmm. would not, yeah, Michael's teachers. That would not be a bad place to start, the Bible knowledge commentary. Two volumes, Old Testament and mm-hmm. New Testament. And if you want something even more, if you want to get, more in depth, I think I would go with the expositors that used to be. It was edited at one time by Gabaline. It's been revised. I forget who who did the revision uh, uh, editor, but uh, that's about twelve volumes, isn't it, or ten volumes? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Twelve. Yeah. Yeah. And if the print is too small, you got to get a magnifying glass and, mm-hmm. and hold it up there. Okay. So Martin, hang on. Trish is going to come on with you, and she's going to tell you exactly if it, that went by too fast because it went by too fast for me. <laughs> You hang on, and she will give you more information right there. The two Michaels are at the Radio Backyard Fence. Aren't you glad? More of your calls straight ahead on Chris Fabry Live. Online, chrisfabrylive.org. Have you clicked the green button at chrisfabrylive.org that says CareNet yet? Oh, I hope you will. Because you will be encouraged about their pro-abundant life ministry. They are on a mission to help you help those around you. It could be a family member. It could be a friend, neighbor down the street, and also somebody in the pew next to you who says that they are pro-choice or who would say, yeah, but women need their health care. They have some free downloads that you can for the the new booklet. Is the pro-choice position consistent with the life and teachings of Jesus? That goes into the sound biblical arguments, not so that you can argue, not so that you can win the argument, but so that you can present the clear teaching of what the Bible says about this really important issue to somebody who may disagree with you. It might be a, a better conversation than than you think. Go to chrisfabrylive.org, click the green CareNet button today. Hope you'll do that. Click CareNet at chrisfabrylive.org. Well, I, I told you we'd take your Bible questions, or maybe there's a question that's going on personally, an emotional struggle that you're having, or a family one, and Lewis has one of those. Lewis, why did you call today? Hey, how you doing, Chris? It's two Michaels. 
Um, I called today. Uh, my daughter grew up in the church, and uh, she was saved at about 10 years old, and now she's going to be 19 this Sunday on the 18th. And uh, just within the last year, she uh, you know, was saying that uh, she doesn't believe in God and that uh, she feels like when she dies, she's not going to go anywhere or nothing happens. Um, I just feel like this heavy cloud is on her. But uh, my wife seems to think that she is still saved. Um, and I was just wondering, is that still possible? I mean, even though she's saying these things? Well, I, um, you know, Lewis, let me say, I, I can't imagine how distressing this must be for you guys. I just can't. I mean, I, both of my kids, I just have two children and they're walking with the Lord and I praise Jesus for that. It's a huge blessing, but I would be heartbroken if that wasn't the case. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, regarding what her situation is, well, first of all, none of us knows for sure. We, we, God knows if she really trusted Christ when she was a child, or if that was just something that was different and, and it wasn't sincere faith or something. If she did trust Jesus as her savior, it's possible that, you know, sin has a strong hold on her right now, even as a saved person, and that she might come back to the Lord down the road. And if she's not a Christian right now, as long as she's alive, there's hope that she'll someday come to embrace Christ. And so we can hang on to that. I wish I could have a more definitive answer for you, but, um, you know, there's always hope, Lewis. There's always hope. And keep praying for her, either that she'll return more seriously to the Lord she already knows, or that she'll come to him in faith for the first time. Just keep praying. Yeah, and make sure you keep close. Don't think, oh, if you don't agree with me, then I've got to somehow let let go of this relationship. You need to do all you can to maintain a really good and positive relationship, a loving, warm yeah. yes, relationship with mm -hmm. her. Uh, and and walk her through it, you know. As as much as she's willing to talk with you about these things, that's as much as you talk. Don't browbeat her, you know. You let her lead exactly uh, in in what she talks about. And you know, if she knows the Lord, she'll come around. And yeah. uh, if she doesn't know the Lord, there's still hope that she will come around to what she was raised with. That she will respond. It'll it'll be uh, it'll it'll come back in terms of her understanding, and then she'll trust. I don't know what the answer is. Uh, you know, only God knows where her heart is. I just know that I know too many people who, when they were 18 or 19, I have a friend who's a really great attorney in New York. When he was 18 or 19, he was in Christian college, and he denied everything. He denied the faith. Got kicked out of the college for being such a wild kid. And then uh, he was, uh, I would say, 40 and he married, uh, they adopted a baby. He looked at that baby and he said, wow, I have nothing to give this child. And he is, he's married to a woman that didn't know the Lord, a Jewish woman. That's how I met him. And uh, I've got to raise this child to know the Lord. And boom, uh, he came back. Uh, and, and he said in his heart, he always believed he was just didn't want to live that way. And then what happened to him in the end was that his, well, what happened later is his wife came to the Lord as well. And, wow. and they raised those kids that they had for the Lord. So all I'm saying is you just don't know what the future holds, but stay close, stay close. Okay. Can yes, I give absolutely. you, I, yes, go ahead. Can I give you five words when, if she talks about this, you know, if she says to you, I don't believe in God anymore when I die, 
Five words. You ready for the five words? Yeah. Tell me. Tell me more about that. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about that. And and you're not trying to argue with you, and you're not taking her to the scriptures and say, "Well, this is." Well, tell, tell me more. Tell me so that you draw her out and you have that conversation. And the other thing is that a great prayer to pray that I've heard, and I'll see if the Michaels agree with this, is Lord, and parents have prayed this, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to grab a hold of her heart, mm-hmm. and and you'll walk through that with her, whatever it takes in her life. And and it may get, you know, that's a, it's a hard prayer to pray. Michaels, do you agree with that? Mm-hmm. I do. I do. Yeah. I, yeah, I think so, too. Mm-hmm. And so, and and be ready to walk through whatever that whatever it takes is. So that's that's really yeah. crucial. Yeah, Lewis, I, I'm glad you got through. Did you have anything else you want to say? Um, yeah. So I, I was listening to Chris Brooks uh, earlier today, and he uh, had Lee Strobel on there, and he actually had a book on uh, is, is God real? And that was something that something I did pick up, and I just kind of wanted to walk with her in this, and uh, you know, I just feel like I mean she. She's got, she's such a sweet child. She's got a, a gold heart. I mean, she's got compassion. She, I mean, I, I just don't know. And I'm, so me and my wife, are, we're praying. The church is praying for her. I mean, a bunch of other people are. And we are just, uh, you know, leaving it in God's hands. And um, and we just continue to walk with her and love her and, uh, and see what happens. Here's the great thing about that. She's got a great dad and a great mom, it sounds like, and a, mm-hmm. and a family around her. So she's, you know, the, the gates of heaven are being stormed already, and that hound is after her. And so you pray believing that God is at work, even though you can't see it. And um, Mike Roller, don't like anything to add to that. No, I just think that, that it's so crucial that you keep praying. Don't miss a day. Pray with your wife. Uh, be regular. But be as loving as you can be and don't browbeat. That's the key. Don't look for arguments. Uh, just let her lead the way when you talk. And tell her happy birthday from us. Mike yep. V, anything to add to that? Uh, what I just said earlier, Lewis, don't lose hope. Yep. Yeah. Amen. Hey, thanks a lot for your calls here. We had uh, some other calls we weren't able to get to in the hour. If you want to call that listener line and leave a question for maybe a future to Michaels, we'll do that. Hopefully, we'll be able to put something on the calendar for March. But here's the number, 866-95-FABRY. You can press a number and leave a message for us, and we'll hear it, 866 866- 95 Fabry, leave your message for the two Michaels. And thanks a lot for listening to Chris Fabry Live, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Mm-hmm.